From the campus of Yale University, this is To Live and Dialogue in L.A. I'm Aaron Tracy. Today, very excited for a very big episode. Our guest today is, quite simply, the world's best-selling writer. His books have sold more than 300 million copies and counting. He's by far the highest paid author in the world, according to Forbes. He's written over 100 New York Times bestsellers. He holds the New York Times record for most number one books, which is also a Guinness world record. In recent years, his novels have sold more copies than those of Stephen King, John Grisham, and Dan Brown combined. Here's my favorite stat, though. (laughs) This is nuts. One out of every 17 books sold in the United States is by him. One out of every 17. Of course, I'm talking about James Patterson. Among his works are the Alex Cross, Michael Bennett, Women's Murder Club, NYPD Red series, as well as many standalone thrillers, nonfiction, kids, and romance novels, including a thriller about a missing president he co-authored with Bill Clinton. He's received many awards, including the Literarian Award from the National Book Foundation. And Jim has made it a mission to increase literacy and promote the joy of reading. Jim has donated millions in grants and scholarships to encourage Americans of all ages to read more books. His work has also been adapted for many movies and TV shows, including Instinct on CBS. Fans of that show know we've talked to my friend Michael Rausch, the creator and showrunner of Instinct, a couple times on this pod. There was also uh, Jim's TV show Zoo, Women's Murder Club, the movies Along Came a Spider, and Kiss the Girls. And I've gotten to know Jim through a project we're doing together for Amazon's Audible. Jim and I and my friend Ryan are creating a five-hour scripted audio drama that takes place inside the world of one of Jim's books. So it's not an audiobook. It's a new drama which will be performed by a cast of actors. Basically, it's a TV show without the visuals. When I first approached him and his great TV and film executive, Bill Robinson, about the idea, they didn't hesitate immediately seeing how cool it could be to extend his universe into a new medium. I've been having a great time on it. And by the way, when I sent Jim a short document with ideas for the season, he wrote back within 24 hours. That's one thing I'm excited to talk to him about. With his insane amount of output, how does he stay on top of everything? He seems to get more done in a day than the average person does in a month. Part of what makes Patterson so popular is that every one of his books is a masterclass in pace, plotting, and sheer emotion. His loyal fans, like President Clinton, devour his books. They can be wildly entertaining, suspenseful, and scary, filled with twists and turns that you don't see coming. His novel, The Black Book, which is about a family of cops and goes back and forth through time to tell the story of two murders in a really challenging framework is fantastic. And for many thriller authors, would be the culmination of a body of work. For Jim, It was one of the 15 or so books he published in 2017. One of his editors says, I have never read a writer who I think is better at keeping your eye moving forward and your heart moving forward. I am excited for this, as you can tell. So here we go, a convo with a best-selling writer in the world, James Patterson. You're really known for your short, tight, 
chapters. Um, I, I'm just curious, do you remember how that style first came about? Well, I think a piece of it is, you know, I was a little literary snob growing up. <laughs> um, and um, some of the influences on me were things like Mr. and Mrs. Bridge, mm-hmm. two separate books by Evan Connell Jr. Short, very concise, witty. I, I, I'm good on the short and concise, not so good on the witty. Um <laughs> uh, uh, Jersey Kaczynski, Steps, and, you know, also, once again, very concise stuff. Um, and I just felt comfortable with that style, and it sort of fits my psyche, which is to sort of get to the heart of things um, and, and, and keep it kind of tight. Yeah. I mean, I, I spend, you know, most of my life thinking about TV writing and screenwriting, and, you know, they feel very reminiscent of scenes, um, you know, just short, dramatic that's what I try to do, and um, you know, it, it, there's not an infinite number of scenes in every story, but there are a lot of scenes, and you, you have to choose what scenes are going to are really going to tell the story right. in, in the best possible way. Mike Connolly, who's a very good mystery writer, suspense writer, said he said what Jim does is every single scene drives both the characterization and the plot forward mm-hmm. and turns on the movie projector in our heads. Right. I don't know if I succeed at that, but I'd like to think that I do. I certainly try to right. do that. And, I mean, I guess, is that the case across all your work um, in some genres? Well, there's a lot of, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I'd like, I, hopefully it's not a cookie cutter. There certainly are different things that I do. I mean, I do a lot of kids' books, um, and that's a little different. So I, I had my buddy Michael Rausch on here a couple times, uh-huh. um, who runs, of course, your great show, Instinct, on CBS. Do you? He says, I mean, and this is sort of remarkable, and I, I want to ask you about this, but he says that um, you read every outline and every draft of every script of Instinct. I do, yeah. Uh-huh. How do you, how do you first know. of all... I don't know. <laughs> I had um, CBS, um, that Saturday morning show was on here at one point, and I had just done a bunch of these, the shorter ones, the 150-page book shots, which to me was still the most important thing, or is the most important thing I've ever done. We just couldn't really, really, really get it going. But I kept opening these drawers in my office, and um, I, I'm blanking on the. He was a really terrific reporter, but he was he he kept going. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. And then he said, "James, you are crazy," just because of the amount of stuff that I, you know, that I was doing for those. Yeah, no, it's incredible. But but about the show, I mean, do you ever, um, you know, like I know Stephen King has has gone in and written a few episodes of of the adaptations of his TV shows. I couldn't. I can't. I couldn't put up with it. I just I couldn't. In what sense? I I just don't want to deal with, with the bureaucracy and all opinions. I I don't. I just don't. I don't want to hear it. Right. I a lot of times I'm not talking about necessarily instinct, but I'll get on some of these calls with the studios and whatever, and I just have to. I I have to hang up. I don't. Right. I don't do it noisily, right. but I just I just can't stand it. It's just too silly. Yeah, I hear that. There's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of people just talking to hear their voices heard in Hollywood. Well, and there's a lot of people that they they may be quite bright in a lot of ways, but not necessarily at looking at raw material. Right. Yeah. No, that takes a very specific skill set for sure. Um, but so, in in terms of getting all this done, um, I, I'm very curious what a typical writing day looks like for you. Uh, well, I I I don't work for a living. I play for a living. Somebody <laughs> said you're lucky at. if you find something you like to do, and then it's a miracle if somebody will pay you to do it. And that's kind of what I do. And I'm in a position now where I don't really work for anybody. 
um, you know, with my editors. I, I absolutely want to hear everything they have to say. And um, but but ultimately, I make all the calls. So right. it's an ideal situation. I don't write anything I don't want to write. Um, and I can and I can walk away from projects where I'm just not liking, you know, like Hollywood. We walk away from a lot of things. Right. Um, I, you know, so it's 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 really quite a wonderful gig that I have. Uh, it sounds pretty stage. amazing. Yeah. Uh, so you have no problem, in other words, just getting up and going to your office, like you're. Oh no 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 no, no. Yeah, yeah yeah oh yeah no I was in my office at four forty five this morning crazy. <laughs> crazy and is that because i mean i assume like it's, it seems That's funny to because ask if i get up that early it means i'm nervous about a couple of things i tend not uh-huh. to be too nervous and so are you able to i mean obviously when you when you start at 4:45, it could be different but are you able to chain yourself to your chair i, I mean, don't it it's like... not a chain thing <laughs> I, I really i do it right. seven days a week wow i love to do it it's not uh i love to tell stories yeah i um i used to work at a um, a mental hospital outside of was in Belmont, Massachusetts, which is outside of Cambridge. What were you doing there? I was an aide. I just uh, it's the way I worked my way through college, huh. um, and uh, that's where I started reading like a crazy person. Oh wow! Um, and I would go into Cambridge three or four times a week. There used to be all these used, but maybe there still are used bookstores. You could buy books in those days for nothing. And um, I hadn't been a big reader in high school. I was a good student, but I wasn't a big reader. My whole thing was just get out of Newburgh hmm. any way you can. Um, and suddenly I just, I, I started, that's when I, you know, with with Canal and, and uh, Steps and Kaczynski and Berger, Thomas Berger and all sorts, mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of uh, plays and anything I could get my hands on reading mm-hmm. like that. But I loved it. And then I started scribbling and I loved that even more. Right. Um, and then I went to graduate school at Vanderbilt, and, and there was this very southern, very conservative uh, uh, fellow who was the creative writing um, guru, and um, I was this hippie northerner, and who theoretically he should have hated, but for some reason he really liked what I wrote. So we got very close, and he was the first person that said, "No, no, no, you can do this. You, you have wow. there's something that you have. Everybody needs that. I don't person. know what the hell it is, but I have it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know it was it was absolutely essential to me. Yeah, um, is it true that you write um, in longhand yeah, on yeah. a legal pad? Yeah, I'm sitting here, and I have four pencils staring at me. <laughs> and um, the worn down erasers and the points are none of them have a decent point. And I and I have a I have a pencil sharpener right just to the right of those, so that's my little. Uh, and what's up on the neurotic. wall? Oh, on the walls here. I mean, they're also well. There's one thing here. Time or the New York Times did a, a magazine thing, and the cover was uh, James mm-hmm. Patterson Inc. Nasty mm-hmm. bastards that they are. That. Um, so there's that. There's another um, picture in here of when I was on The Simpsons. Oh, yeah. uh, I was a cartoon character. That's cool. Which was, yeah, it was great. It starts at Marge. Is, um, she's on the beach, and she's reading one of my books, and she's, oh, I just love James Patterson. And then I'm riding on a horse behind her. And, uh, and then they cut, and she's on the back of the horse, and we're talking, and she's going, oh, James, I'd like to write nursery rhyme titles for your books. And at those point, the Alice Cross books had nursery rhyme titles. I said, Marge, I think there's some better things we could do than that. And then an alarm clock rings, and my eyes go back and forth. And then we're, Marge is in, in uh, her bedroom, and Homer comes in, and he goes, yeah, Marge, that was great last night, but why did you keep calling me James? <laughs> that was pretty funny. That's great. Are you are you a TV fan? Are you? Yeah, yeah, up to a point. Um, 
you know, Sue and I, you know, many nights will watch a show. Uh-huh. Uh, lately, we've been hooked on Suits, okay. um, which I like a lot. Billions, yeah. we we won't keep up with. Um, mm-hmm. uh, May, uh, what's your name, Miss May? Uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's we we like that a yeah. lot. Um, mainly the cable things. Um, she likes Madam Secretary. It's gotten uh-huh. too preachy for me, uh-huh. but it's it's not bad. But I don't, you know, um, for some reason, um, Blue Bloods. I mean, it's so old fashioned, but I, you know. Um, and so just going back to your writing in longhand, how do those legal pads make their way onto the computer? Do you have an assistant type it up? And... I, I will dictate things usually okay. when it's in a shape that I'm semi-interested in it. And then I'll, I'll do many, many drafts. Right. And are you able to do Even many the outline, drafts? same thing. There, uh, there was one year, I think it was, I don't remember, last year or the year before, I did 2,600 pages of outlines. <laughs> and all of those were like three or four drafts. Right. Um, um, because it, most of the co- all the co- well almost all the co write co writing things I, I will do a fifty to seventy page outline. Right. Yeah. I mean. So I, yeah, it's like, crazy. You know, the 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 the, uh, the the guy for CBS was absolutely right. I'm nuts. <laughs> I like it. I enjoy my insanity. I know it, yeah. it sounds good. I mean, what, what, you know, when I think about sort of you working with co-authors, it does feel a lot like a showrunner on TV, where you're the creator and executive producer, and you're working with you know other writers in a writers' room. I think sort it's of. like that. It's not quite. I you know they get so I don't know what. Um, it doesn't. I, you know, it's funny. I went on. They, they, there was another show on CBS, which was okay. It should have been a movie because I think. Uh, it just needed the money for the special effects, this zoo show. And I was afraid on television it would be a little cornball and they wouldn't have the money to do it that well. Mm-hmm. But I went to the writer's room and every, it was cordial and fun and, you know, we little smiles and whatever. But the showrunner felt compelled to say at one point, very early on, he said, you know, James, I mean, let's face it. I mean, you wrote a, 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 pulp, a pulp novel. It's a B novel. But uh, trust me, we're going to do an A-plus job. Oh, my God. And I went, okay, great. <laughs> Please do. I don't think they did it, but uh, you know that was it. Was a, it was a snotty thing to say? But I no, got a kick out of it. I yeah. laugh at you. Have to laugh at this shit, you know. I guess that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, just sort of going back to to the idea of of these co-authors, how do you maintain a consistent voice throughout the novels when you have other I don't, people? I don't. I don't. Um, I mean, I, I, if it's a series um, like um, Women's Murder Club. It's pretty much been the same writer that I work with for, you know, Maxine Pietro for a while. Mm-hmm. So that's the consistency. Right. Um, we just switched with Michael Bennett. Um, Michael Edwidge wanted to sort of go off and do his own thing. And I got involved with an ex-DEA agent down here who had bun- done a bunch of books. And I think you know, we've now done a couple of the Bennett's together. And I think it's holding up pretty well. Yeah. Um, do, do you have these co-authors read a ton of your stuff, talk to you? I mean, how do you well, make sure that yeah, they I get want them, your stuff? Certainly, if they're going to do the series, they, you know, I, I ask that they read. You know, we don't change that often. Okay. Um, but every once in a while, you make a change, and then, yeah. You know, and the, when I was doing the uh, the book shots which for these 150 page, which I thought was sort of the the future of books in a lot of ways, uh-huh. the problem was it just scared the shit out of the publisher that I'd have these, you know, 4.99 books running around and oh my god it's going to cannibalize your stuff and we won't be able to make money i don't know you know and i understood that and it wasn't they weren't wrong um but i do think for a lot of people that's they want i mean it's 150 pages is like a movie it's like a two-hour movie you know and it's very 
tense and tight, and you know some of them were terrific. But I also, um, in doing those, I, I met up with um, a, a few you know writers that I hadn't worked with before, like Brendan Dubois, who was up there in New Hampshire, whatever, churning out short stories and stuff. He's great. And and the way I found him, I you know, and I I will just try to you know solve my own problems. And um, there's um best short uh, best um mystery short stories every year right and i just went through about 10 10 um uh, books and I, I you know i just read a couple of pages and go ooh, ooh, ooh this this person is really good at writing scenes and stuff um that's so funny you use it like a sears catalog or something you're looking for a writer um, yeah and i did i got you know three or four that way and uh, another um fellow who we who we eventually wrote texas rangers together right right um, that's so funny yeah, yeah. And how much time do you spend, I mean, in person, on the phone with these guys, with these different people? Co-authors? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here with one, one, you know, whatever. I mean, every day I'll get, you know, whatever, a couple hundred pages come in or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> and then... Um, and you read all that. Oh, sure. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll... I, and, and I get back immediately. I mean, as, as Roush knows about the... Yeah. You know, I'm pretty much back that day. Right. On our project together, I sent you, you know, a, a short document about the season and you were back to me within 24 hours. Yeah, that's pretty much what we do. And sometimes uh, sometimes there's a lot of work necessary and sometimes I'm going, okay, you know, this is going to work pretty well. I have a kid show on uh, PBS called uh, Kids Stew. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really, a, a you know, kind of a passionate, a passion project for me uh, because it's about, the joy of learning, and and really that we can we can get a lot of of, of of stuff about the arts and history and science and whatever, and we can get them to young kids That's if great. we do it in a fun way. So it's kind of like Saturday Night Live meets the Discovery Channel, <laughs> and it's really That's cool. Great. And and uh, we've done like ten episodes, and I just won uh, five Emmys um, on Saturday night, which oh is, is very cool. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really. I mean, it's 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 quite good. I mean, for what it is, I mean, it's yeah. pretty. It's really small budget and stuff. And uh, we did the same thing with. We did. Um, my friend and I did a documentary uh, film down here. Um, the far uh, west end of Palm Beach County is is really quite poor and a lot of violence. And we did a documentary about Belle Glade down here and also my old hometown, Newburgh, New York. Um, and Newburgh was ranked like this. I don't know that the rankings are, you know, who does these things, but right. it was ranked the sixth most violent small town in America. And Belle Glade, Florida, was, you know, in Palm Beach County was ranked first. Hmm. And I know Belle Glade and I know Newburgh, obviously, fairly well. And... uh, uh yeah, yeah, there is some violence there, but there's mostly a lot of good people, and I wanted to sort of try to communicate that. Yeah, and we went out, we bid it with a couple of documentary, um, you know, film companies, and they were both in the seven hundred thousands to do it. And my friend and I went out and did it for fifty one thousand. <laughs> edited it at the strip local uh, strip mall, and it won two Emmys. That's amazing. So you know, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> and did that attract? Did that make you want to make more? No, books? I, you know, I do it by you know, it's I, I'm kind of a little too busy. You know, we have a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are aspiring writers or you know trying to make it. Yeah, don't Hollywood. do it. <laughs> <laughs> is that really your advice? What about for novels? I don't know. Do you I, you don't know do my it? part of my advice is, um, um, you know, get get a get a job 
and 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 write on the side if you can if you can do it. Right. That's what um, I did. That I mean, I, I worked in advertising for a while, but I've been right. clean for over twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> but you had a very successful career in advertising. You were yeah. You write, I didn't like it, but I mean, it paid the bills, and it really allowed me to write and put zero pressure on it. Uh-huh. And at a certain point, when I was I was really I I done a bunch of Alice Cross books that had really done well, and. Uh, a certain point, and also J. Walter Thompson had changed management. It was becoming a, a very unpleasant to go there for me. Um, at that point, I finally said, "Okay, I'm out of here." But but what had happened before that? I was in a position to hire uh, all the creatives, and I would only hire one kind of person, talented and nice to be around. So other than the clients, it really was a very nice place to work. Yeah. Uh, a lot of good, smart people, and you know, some of whom went on to do. Uh, some things in the movies. Um, Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of famous writers who started off in advertising. Um, John Hughes did. Um, Do you think that there's, I mean, is it just sort of that creativity overlap? Oh, you know, it can be helpful. To me, the most, you know, it depends on what you want to do with your life. But for me, the important thing was, I mean, look, you come out of college, you know, I came out of, you know, grad school at Vanderbilt and and I thought I had all the answers. And, you know, you come in and you're arrogant, and then they test some things that you've done, and they go, uh, nobody paid any attention to that. Right. Zero, like zero. <laughs> you got a zero, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. And it, it does get you to understand that there's an audience out there. Right. Now, you may choose you not to speak to them, <laughs> or right. you, if you want to be commercial, I think you have to learn how to speak to them. And I, what I always tried to do is highest common denominator. I mean, common denominator is just, that's what I want to do. Right. And that's, I think, my talent level. I, I don't have Ulysses in me. Um, I don't <laughs> have 100 do. years of solitude in me. So I, I wanted to do commercial um, stuff, but I wanted to do what you mentioned, you know, uh, um, Exorcist and Day of the Jackal which I thought were two really good commercial novels. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, you just kept flipping the pages. And, and I thought I could maybe do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what I try to do. And I want people to, you know, as, as I said, I, 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 I always pretend there's one person sitting across from me and telling them a story that I don't want them to get up till I'm finished. That's great. That's what I I'm trying that. to do. Right. That, when I pitch you know, a TV show, that's exactly what I'm attempting to do. It's like telling your best friend this great story that you heard last mm-hmm. night. Um, but your first novel, what, the Thomas Berryman number, uh, I read that it was rejected by 30-some publishers right. before yeah. Little Brown, right? Yes. Yeah. And you were just absolutely, I mean, I guess you know, you were doing so well in advertising, it wasn't necessary. No, no, necessary. no. I was a baby. Oh, really? I was, I was just a, I was like 25 years old. Okay. No, I was very lucky. Um, the rejections came very quickly, and a lot of them were nice, like "send me your next thing," blah blah uh-huh. blah blah. But the weird thing is, having been rejected by thirty-one publishers, it then won an Edgar as the best first mystery That's of incredible. that year. So you just start scratching your head about these uh, these people that rejected it. Yep. The Nobody fun thing was, over time, then a lot of these editors would send me books for blurbs. <laughs> Right. You know, whatever. Uh, right. <laughs> now, but, I would actually, I mean, if I liked the book, I'd send him a nice blurb. I right. never blurb anything that I don't read. And so how many, how long were you writing novels before you finally decided to quit advertising altogether and go oh, into it Oh, quite a while. Time? Really? Yeah I, yeah, I don't know how long it was, 20 years. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, what's, this wasn't an overnight success thing. And so then what was it <laughs> that was finally torture. made you decide? <laughs> well, I, it, it was two things. One, I mean, you know, I, I was turning out a lot of bestsellers and uh, starting to make some some a, a lot of money, A, and B, um, 
and I'd have been fine to, to you know to do to do both because as I said I liked the people I was working with mm-hmm. and I liked writing the books and they and they could uh, exist side by side for a while but when Thompson um, um, got sold and all of a sudden the culture just was not a culture I wanted to be involved in mm-hmm. so it became painful and so it was really easy to walk away at that point mm-hmm. um, I'm curious do you care what platform people are reading your books no. on no, 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 it's all good. I, you know, I wish that, you know, I, the unfortunate thing is when I actually talked to Jeff Bezos about this at one point, oh, yeah. is you had about a third of the people who switched over to, uh, um, you know, dev- devices. And um, unfortunately, you said that, so they weren't going to, into bookstores anymore, which is all right, I guess. But no, but the kids, the kids were not going onto the devices. So all of a sudden, in most of these families, the Going into bookstores, so there's no books coming into the house, and the kids aren't writing, aren't reading on uh, Kindle and Nook. Right. So bad. <laughs> right. B- very bad. Um, I, I mean, I mean what, what do you think about the demise of the bookstores and, and Jeff Bezos? Well, rise? we'll see. I mean, it, I, I think for whatever reason, he's made making peace with the publishers a bit now, which is good. We need publishers. I mean, look, 20 years from now, we may not. I don't know. Uh, but for the moment, um, you know, American literature will just disappear if we don't have publishing houses. I mean, if if you put out Infinite Jest now, yeah. and there was no publisher, and it just went on the, on, the, on, on the internet, you'd get like five reviews, couldn't get through it, piece of shit, didn't understand it, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that book would disappear. Right, Ulysses, same thing. Uh, um, so, for the moment, we need the publishers who are working with authors and and at least uh, on some level, um, you know, protecting uh, literature in the country. I don't think they're doing a great job, but but they're they're the best we have right now. Right. And and, and if it was just done on the internet, it would be a disaster. We we, we just right. we'd have no literature. I completely agree, and we need you know newspapers to stop cutting back on all their book review sections. Yeah, and and, so and and on everything. I mean, it's on their stories, on their newspapers. Are, you know, to me, driving driving me. Cr- you know, I've been hanging around with President Clinton a lot because we did a book together, and right. uh, and, and newspapers should drive him crazy too. Do you read reviews of your work? Yeah, I try not to too much. Uh, you know, look, I mean, I, I, like anything else, I think if they're fair. Um, and and you're learning something, um, then you know all to the good. I mean, you get things, some reviews where people go, well, that's it's just totally not realistic. It would never happen. Right. I always think of somebody like you know reviewing a Chagall or a Picasso and go, it's not very realistic. I just don't think that's a relevant or fair review. Um, um, you know, Chagall, and they're not. It's not realism, and what I do is not mostly not realism. Right. So you can say I hate it. That's fair, and I'll tell you ten reasons why. Right. But don't sit there and go, it's not realistic. And unfortunately, with newspapers, they tend to be full of people that basically are looking for realism. Mm-hmm. Even their book book editors, you know, the, the people that are hiring them tend to be. It's, if it's not factual, if it's not real, you know, well, you know, a lot of literature, a lot of, you know, even commercial stuff is, is just not realistic. And I think mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's not your style. can be valid. And, you know, my style is, is I write very colloquial. 
Right. Uh, so it's not fancy sentences. And I think that's valid. Once again, I mean, I could tell you a really, I told you a couple of stories that are pretty good, and there's probably not a, 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 a wonderful sentence in any of those stories, but they're still pretty good stories. <laughs> yeah, right. And I think that's, look, it'd be terrible if everybody wrote that way, but I think it's a valid way to write. And, and you know, and one of the things for people listening, and, and they're smart enough to figure this out for themselves, I have no interest in trying to tell people how to write. All I'm doing is saying, this is what I do. You may find some of it useful. Yeah. By the way, the stuff that you, if you nod at anything like, oh, that's great, you probably don't need to hear that because you probably already do it. It's the stuff where you're shaking your head the other way. That's the stuff you need to think about. because What, what, what kind of stuff? The stuff you don't agree with. Yeah, that's where you. If there's any learning to be done, it's going to be what you're not agreeing with, um, and maybe there is something there, and maybe that's why you're not getting published, or maybe that's why, right. yeah, whatever. Maybe, maybe. Well, I watched some of your masterclass, which I thought was terrific. Uh, um, that was fun to do. Yeah. How many? You know, those are two days, so man. Boom. Is that right? Crash, boom. And and one of the, I mean, they were very smart and they sort of tested everything. They shot some film that was more cinematic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they really they tried to make it look good. Interesting. <laughs> they, they basically cut it all out and they just kind of stayed tight right with me. And in theory, I mean, it's not, visually it's not terribly interesting. But they they felt that that was the strongest, and it's still it's the it's the the biggest seller on that, which is, is that crazy right? to me. Yeah, who would rather listen surprised. to me than Aaron, Sork- Aaron Sorkin? Well, uh, apparently listen, a Aaron lot Sorkin of people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Aaron Sorkin one's great. I mean, the fact that they get the leader in every field. I mean, it's Annie Leibovitz yeah. for the photography. It's Malcolm yeah. Gladwell. Well, they for do journalism. a great job, and they're honest, and they're fair, and and actually, it's it's pretty lucrative, which surprised me because I just kind of did it. I liked them, and I yeah, we can do two days. Right, and I would, and, and you know, they, people always promise. Well, you know, in this case, they re- it actually did. I mean, there was the money right. still coming it's, in. It's it must weird. be because it's also a oh, here's a chunk of money TV. right now. <laughs> yeah, no. It's, uh, <laughs> um, what did you uh, have? You watched any of the other master classes? Who are you like a giant fan? I of? haven't. Uh, you know, uh, Serena. Uh, I mean, I don't play yeah. tennis, but I'm a fan of hers. Aaron Sorkin. I'm a fan yeah. of, of his work, obviously. Uh, Dustin Hoffman. I actually watched Dustin Hoffman's, but I haven't. Wa- I don't know why I haven't, but I should. I, I, it's one of those things like um, Ted. And I keep going. I'm going to watch. You know, like a hundred of those, and I mm-hmm. don't. I don't know why. You know why? Because I'm why? too freaking busy. Yeah, I doing other kidding. shit. Yeah, you are. <laughs> but I'd like to. I'd like to do more. But actually, it's funny with Serena. Years ago, uh, my wife and I were on a plane up to Washington, and Serena was sitting behind us. And I don't know, half a dozen times during the flight, people came up and you know asked her for an autograph. And you know, but then we stood up at the end of the flight, and she leaned into me and she said, "But I want your autograph." Oh my god! <laughs> and uh, it was so neat. We're walking. Awesome. We walked down to baggage to get baggage claim together, Serena and I. And she goes, "I can't believe you, James Patterson." I go, "I can't believe you're Serena Williams." Oh my God, that was just fun. That's so cool. So, I, I, has that happened before? I mean, I know you know Bill Clinton was, of course, a fan of yours before you started working together. Have you ever discovered someone you were a fan of was a fan of yours aside from Serena? Ah, uh, I'd have to think about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, well, I, and some people that I wasn't necessarily fans of, but it's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, years ago, I got this letter. This guy go, I picked up your book uh, in Chicago airport. I like your stuff. Da 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 da. I keep book plates in my library. Would you mind? Saying, very polite letter, blah, blah, blah. And a lot mm-hmm. of it was George Bush, oh uh, 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 George H. Bush, yeah. who just died. 
Um, and, and, and I would, uh, you know, he would send me a, a note for every time I sent him a book, he would send a note, which was very, very polite, man. And then, um, uh, Mrs. Bush had her 10th anniversary of her literacy thing. And, and I'm not a Republican, but we went down to, uh, to Texas and did the, and, and they were wonderful. They were very nice, very polite, very funny, very human, very smart. So it was fun. That's incredibly fun. fun. It's also hard to imagine another author that Serena Williams and George H.W. Bush might have in common, right? I mean, those are two such different people. Big readers, though. Big readers. Yeah, uh, Serena and her sister, both both big readers. Oh, they sorry. would down in Florida. They would they would like send somebody, and I do it anytime I had a signing down here. Mm-hmm. They would send somebody to come get the book signed. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, that's cool. And do you ever send a lot, of, a lot of the politicians? Uh, huh. Read my stuff. Uh, McCain, Bush and, oh, really? Giuliani, the Bushes, um, obviously uh, President Clinton. Uh, haven't heard anything from uh, President Trump. Uh, <laughs> he does not read. I, I don't know. You. I have no idea. Yeah. I, I tell you one thing though, and, and I've talked to you know President Clinton about that. People make a mistake by by thinking that he's not smart. <laughs> really, he is smart. He's very crafty. He he's very smarty. You know, whatever. He's not. He he doesn't collect information. I don't think he retains information very Agreed. well. Agreed. He's also not curious, and that's such an important facet. Yeah. Of well, there's a lot of things you'd like to have. But look, I mean, here's Reagan. I don't know. You know, there's up in the air about whether he, whether he was good, bad, or indifferent. But yeah. what he was good about, I think, is surrounding himself with good people. Right. Uh, which Trump does not. Which do. is huge. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Mostly. Uh, definitely questionable. Second I think he's been pretty yeah. good with the generals. And, yeah. um, you know, I mean, I think, you know, once again, not to get into a thing with President Clinton, yeah. but we talk a lot about it. And and he's, you know, he's very positive about Mattis and, and some of the generals that they're, they're, well, they're bright and they're, and they're, and they're, you know, good influences. Mm-hmm. So, that's and Schwartzman, I know, um, has some influence a little bit. Yeah. Um, so. It's all going to be completely different over the next two years. Uh, who knows? Melting down. Yeah, well, we'll yeah. see. We'll see. I, um, I mean, not that I, I'm hoping for a meltdown, but, uh, yeah. you know. And do you ever, you know, any, any theory about why so many politicians are so into your work? Uh, I, they, they need to escape. Yeah. You know, I mean, one of the things when, when the pre, you know, President Clinton and I did the book, one of the things that we wanted to accomplish <laughs> with the president is missing is, look, for, for many, many years now, We've had Saturday Night Live making fun of presidents and scandal, sort of making it all seem ridiculous and House of Cards and 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 all of that is is reasonable and fair and useful up to a point. Except right. that people start thinking that's really what it's like. Right. And the reality of it is, it's you know, it's an unbelievably difficult and important and stressful job. Unbelievable. So one of the things we wanted to do with this book is just to lay out a scenario where people would see how stressful and important and dangerous the job really is. Mm. And and we tried as best we could to make it as authentic as we possibly could. So mm-hmm. there's a cyber terrorism thing in, in there, and it's not like Mission Impossible. This could really happen. Yeah. And, and in fact, something of its something like it will probably happen. Mm. Uh, and it's unbelievably scary, and it is authentic. It is funny. I mean, the, the New York Times in the review said, oh, that would never happen. Well, what I know is that we spoke to some of the top people in the country about this, mm-hmm. and they vetted the chapters, 
And they said, yes, it absolutely can happen. So I'd like to know who Janet Maslin spoke to, <laughs> because I know our sources were really good and smart and really knew what they were talking about. Yeah. But it's just kind of funny with, I mean, there once again, you get back to newspapers and I, you know, I, you know, if you're going to write something like that, I hopefully you did your research and you just didn't ask your your 20 year old son. Yeah, I like Maslin. She's usually pretty good. Yeah, she's all right. Movie reviews. Yeah, yeah, she was a good um, film. I, I, well, I've spent some time with her, and mm-hmm. I think she tries to be fair, and you know. Yeah, and um, I assume it was it was just really enjoyable to. I mean, writing a book with Clinton must have been great. great for all the access, oh, but look, also I mean, just to spend time. We both time. grew up in small towns. And um, when I was a kid um, in Newburgh, nobody ever came to Newburgh, but at one point Eisenhower came. Mm-hmm. I was a kid, and I, but I never forgot seeing Eisenhower, right. like to this day. So the idea of spending 16 months with President Clinton was like, you That's know, awesome. yeah. I mean, you know, we have the same lawyer, and he approached both of us. And when he, when right. he came to me, I said, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I said, we should get together and talk. Right. And, and just to make sure we're on the same page. And I remember doing a book with a Swedish uh, author, co-author thing, um, and um, Lisa Markland. And she's one of the, the top crime writers in Sweden. And after the book was finished, I went over to Stockholm, and we had like 47 interviews. Hmm. You write a, you know, a, a commercial book here. You, you're lucky if you get two, one interview. It's, you know... But over there, it was like all over, from all over Europe. And every one of them, they had a lot of interesting questions, but they all had the same one question that all of them had, which was, how could the Swede and the, and the American ever get together and cooperate? And, you know, and our answer was that, and it relates, I think, to President Clinton and myself, that we had respect for one another mm-hmm. and we listened. We listened. We actually listened. I find in Hollywood they do not fucking listen. I hear you. They yeah. do not listen. They're arrogant. They all think they have the answers. They do not. They they literally do not come in with their minds open to consider another point of view. And that's one of the great things about Clinton. He always. I mean, he'll have a very concise and clear. And uh, um, um, and I saw him the other night. Uh, who the hell did we go to see? Um, just became a congressman. She'd been the uh, chairman of Wisconsin and the chairman of Miami. She'd been health, education, and welfare. I'm just playing. Oh, right. Name. Of course. Um, Donna Shalala. Donna Shalala, yeah. yeah. And he spoke for about half an hour. This was just a celebration thing about her winning. And it was great. Yeah. He's an incredible and, um, speaker. Yeah. And what he does is he makes a human connection. Right. And, and, and if the Democrats don't get, and, and Colin and I have talked about this a lot, one a story that mm-hmm. that people can relate to and go and and secondly a storyteller if they mm. don't do that they're going to lose again another obama they will yeah. they'll lose yeah. uh yes obama or clinton or you know you need a story though and the story needs to be something where people and it can't be it's not an anti-trump thing it needs to right. by its nature it needs to be anti-trump but if they sit there and go and just spend time going after him it's just going to be a waste of time totally agree no, I think Beto O'Rourke is, has the potential to be our great storyteller. Uh-huh. uh-huh. We'll see. I mean, he's new. Um, so it, you obviously had a great experience with Clinton. What about calling What about calling Serena and saying, let's do a tennis thriller? What about calling <laughs> other people here who well, are yeah, fans of yours? Uh, you know, yeah, it's, I, you know, I actually, um, I did, which I, I took as a, such a serious thing. Um, I was approached, and also Scholastic and Disney were approached by the Einstein estate. 
mm-hmm. and they said, we want you to write a book for kids, uh, fiction, um, that will expose kids to Einstein and his uh, scientific theories. That's cool. And they were very smart, and they said, but it has to be entertaining. So I said, okay, all I have to do is write a book for little kids that <laughs> is entertaining about Einstein's theories. Okay, got it. Um, um, and 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 they and they all they, they gave us the name Max Einstein, and okay. then I presented. And I said I'd like to make Max a girl, and, and that doesn't matter. And like they may find it condescending at Yale and Stanford, or whatever. <laughs> but in a lot of places in the country and around the world, it's really important because yeah. you know girls are not seen. It just isn't by their parents in schools or whatever, and that it can be scientists and mathematicians. Oh, they're way underrepresented. And, yeah, physics. absolutely. Yeah. In Silicon Valley, you go to these places, and it's like it's just guys. It's ridiculous, yeah. uh, or too many. Um, so I took it really, really seriously. So there was my partner on that, and I've just been approached by um, Muhammad Ali's estate to do a book about, or a series maybe about Cassius, wow, young Cassius, cool. which also is like, and I, I, I quickly, and I think we're going to do it. I went to Kwame Alexander. I said, let's do this hmm. together, wow. um, because I know you're really invested in in Al, uh, Muhammad Ali, and and I think it's an important to do a book about this kid who was gifted in a lot. He was a terrible, terrible student growing up in Louisville. But it wasn't because he, he didn't have street smarts and smarts. Right. Um, but he just, he had no interest in school. Um, he actually failed the IQ test getting into the military. Maybe he really? did it on purpose. I don't yeah. know. Um, but, uh, and I just thought it was passed. a great project. So, you know, in terms of partnerships, and where he's open, I almost did something with Garth Brooks, which <laughs> right. um, could have been interesting. It's an eclectic group. Yeah, I, who knows? I mean, so, yeah, I mean, it's always a possibility. Yeah. No, it sounds like one of the fun perks of being James Patterson that you get yeah, to Yeah, you of... get to talk to the, yeah, it, it is, um, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, well, listen, Jim, this was so incredibly generous of you to give us your time and Holy to talk to us. This was shit. so fun. It's just like 50 <laughs> minutes. I didn't. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, all right. Uh, it's great talking to you. I hope yeah. this works out for everybody. And, and I look forward to the podcast. Awesome. And then the project you and I are doing together is, you know, an, a yeah. scripted audio drama, which again is like a brand new form yeah. based in no, one of I love worlds. that. I love it. Yeah, so you really have just no fear about going out into all sorts of new mediums. Why would I be forms? afraid? <laughs> no, I, seriously, the worst is it doesn't work. I mean, you know, the Facebook thing, eh, it could have been a lot better. Right. Uh, maybe we'll try another one. Yeah. You know, the documentary movie, I think that worked, turned out pretty well. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll do another one. I don't know. But I mean, a lot of screenwriters I talk to, you know, myself included, well, you know. it's different. You go out and you and you have whatever your name is. You feel out in Hollywood right. and it's sort of like, oh, he did such and such. Right. You know, we don't want to, you know. That's different. Right. You right. know, I don't really have to be afraid of making mistakes. Try try not to make them. Uh, that's but, so but freeing. But I don't have to be afraid of it. That's yeah. such a free place to be. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, terrific. Right, well, thank perfect. you again. Yep. Nice talking to you. You too, Jim. Do, Bye. A, good, do a good podcast. Oh, we'll do our best. <laughs> okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. James Patterson. That was awesome. Um, such a generous guy, giving us so much time with how insanely busy he is, waking up at 4 a.m. to get started, and is clearly so excited about his work. That's just, I don't know, it's just so awesome to hear. Um, thanks so much to our producer here at the Yale Broadcast Center, Ryan McAvoy. If you dug the show, please do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes. 
you can hit me with questions or complaints or suggestions on Twitter at Aaron D. Tracy or email me at Aaron.tracy at Yale.edu. See you soon.